Well, hey, everybody. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. If that helps you find it, turn or scroll, uh, whatever you want to do. As we continue walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Okay, And today we're going to look at the most famous prayer in world history. Okay, So think of the trillions of prayers that have been prayed. And this is the most recognized one in all the world. It's the Lord's Prayer is how many of us know it. And so... Uh, you know, so many, many of us recited the Lord's Prayer before like a football game or something. Barbara Streisand, Frank Sinatra both sang the Lord's Prayer, okay? It appears in movies like The Boondock Saints, Spider-Man, one of the Fast and Furious, Furious movies where Dom said part of the prayer. And of course, we all know Dom does not have uh, friends. He has family, right? And so this prayer is everywhere. It, it's kind of ubiquitous in our culture, but I want us to realize this morning that Jesus is not giving us a few empty phrases to say like robots. Our Father, who I know, how to be that. That's not what he's trying to do, okay? Jesus isn't giving us a few phrases and lines to recite before we go to sleep, before we go to a ball game or play. He's giving us a form, a model, a way, really, to structure our prayer as we talk to him. So look at Matthew 6, verses 5 to 13. And when you pray... You must, this is Jesus speaking, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, watch this, they've already received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Seven, and when you pray. Do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts just like we've forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So Jesus first makes the point to separate what he wants us to do from what those old Pharisees are doing. Remember, he's been banging on these Pharisees this whole sermon. Okay, just don't be like them is one of his big points of this sermon. And so also notice that Jesus starts with, and he says a couple of times, when you pray. It's an assumption that as his followers that we pray, that we pray daily. So he's not like, hey, if you get around to it, if you pray, you can do it like this. But he goes, no, when you pray, just don't pray like those guys, okay? So, so how did they pray? So they prayed in a location where others could see them, okay? They, they prayed for their own glory. They prayed so that others would just know how spiritual they are. Oh, man, look at that guy. Yeah, that was a poem, man. Way to go, guy. That's what they really wanted, right? So the Pharisees would have loved Twitter, by the way. Do you love Twitter? Hey, okay. So, and then Jesus hits us with that dagger. Verse five, he says, truly, they have already received their reward. So, the reward for praying like Jesus shows us to pray is Jesus. Okay, so you get more of him when you, when you go into the closet, you shut the door, and it's just you. You get more of him the reward for praying for your own glory is just that. So if you pray that so that others will think you're holy, that's what you get. You get that fleeting, never satisfying, hollow feeling of other people's temporary approval. 
you know? So if you do churchy things so that other people will think you're a good person, that's the best it's ever gonna get for you. You've received your reward. And that's how sin works too, by the way. That momentary high, that rush of buying the new thing, that, that glance of the other person, and you can tell they want what you have or whatever your sin is, right? That's as good as sin gets. It, it never, it's not very satisfying. It's an illusion in your life. Sin makes you think you want it, and then you get it, and then you realize it wasn't what it seemed. Any sinners in the room? I thought y'all maybe amen or something like that, okay. Um, so then you, you go, okay, well, that didn't satisfy me, so then I'll try this, and then I'm really going to go after it. And then you get that, and you're like, that's not really what it seemed either. And so that's basically a summary of the history of the world, okay. They sacrificed everything to get what they wanted, and it wasn't what they hoped. That's basically humanity in a nutshell, okay. So uh, this kid had to make a wish, wish, okay, true, true story. I heard Kanye tell the story, okay? And he wished that Kanye would meet him. And he did. So Kanye, this guy's hero, Kanye came to the guy, this little kid's like room, and they were talking. The kid's like blown away. And the kid, like, you know, in awe of Kanye West right there, Grady Yeezys. I mean, this guy, he's done it all. Okay, so the kid goes, You know, Kanye, have you ever met somebody that you really wanted to meet? And Kanye was like, Well, actually, yeah, actually, a couple years, well, months ago, I got to meet Tom Cruise. And Kanye said, He saw the kid go, I didn't think about trying to meet Tom Cruise. <laughs> the kid's with Kanye West, his make-a-wish guy, and he's like, man, I should have asked for Tom Cruise. We're always looking for a little bit more, right? That grass over there, man, that looks so green. Why isn't my grass green like that? Why can't I have, why can't I be, and on and on it goes. That's because what you're really yearning for isn't the green grass, but you're yearning for God himself, okay? That green grass it is just a hollow substitute for what you're really actually after. We have a God-sized hole in our hearts, and we try to fill it with all sorts of relationships and stuff and things, but until you are in God, you'll never know satisfaction and peace. That's how God created you to be. So that that's how you so instead of here in this instead of praying as a performance. So that others think that you're really something, Jesus doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want you to, okay, all right, now, let me see a show. I mean, let me see that you really got it. He doesn't want that for us. Jesus instructs us instead in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees you will reward you. Okay, so he is refocusing us, his followers, on a growing relationship with him. Not a performance, not a religion, a relationship with him. That's why we talk about a relationship with Jesus all the time. He's not saying, by the way, just as a side note, he's not saying that it's wrong to pray in public, okay? So if I got Sam to come close the service today and give him a microphone, he prays in front of all of you, that's not a sinful thing, okay? That's, so as we pray together today, that's not sinful. That's not what he's saying to do. What he's instructing us to do is actually talk to him. Instead of just performing and our, our faith being like that, that's not what he wants. It's fine to pray publicly again like in church, but what Jesus really wants is your heart. He wants a growing relationship, not, not some empty performance. So if the only time that Courtney and I, my wife and I, ever talked was on stage, that wouldn't be a very close relationship. Okay, so he wants that with you. So look at verse 7 again quickly. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like those Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. This verse is very comforting to me. Actually, he's saying, instead of focusing on how long you pray and all these flowery words and making it this great poem, instead of doing all that, let's just focus on our friendship. That's what I really want. Then Jesus gives us a template, a sample, as it were, to show us how to pray. This is the verses that we all know so well. Verse 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed 
be your name. We don't use that word a lot, but when you pray like this, when you start your prayer like this, a lot of good theology comes into your head and heart, okay? Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Literally, that means let your name be kept holy, okay? Let your name be presented with reverence. He's God. We're talking about God in here this morning. He's big. He deserves my respect. His name is holy. He is the king of all kings. I lift him high. And just like that, you come under his awesome, powerful name. That's good for you. It's just good for your soul to hallow his name. So, excuse me. You can start your entire day this way, actually. You can look at your day within this structure. And every morning when you wake up, you hallow his name. As soon as you wake up, God, you're good. You're on your throne right now. You're over all. You're the king of kings. I honor your name this morning. As soon as you wake up, and then another part of your day, your day you pray what's in verse 10. Another, another, at lunchtime, you pray what's in verse 11, as we'll get through this morning. Maybe you could even structure your day that way. So David Brooks of the New York Times um, recently said that he thinks that people are so angry in our country right now because they have misplaced identities. So as we hallow his name every single day, our identity comes into line. Okay, so, so David Brooks, again, of the New York Times, said that in New York, it used to be that, like, you know, somebody would say something like, you know, I'm Italian, man. I live in an Italian neighborhood. My whole life's Italian. Now, like, there's no such thing as an Italian neighborhood, and everybody lives everywhere. We used to place our identity in religion. Now, people are less and less religious. Now, people are placing their identity in politics, and they're angry, right? But what we're really desiring is transcendence. That's what we're after. Uh, to transcend is to be part of something bigger. So simply, we were placed on earth to be part of something bigger than the narrow borders of our own survival and our, literal, our little definition of happiness, right? So we were created to be part of something far bigger, so glorious, so beyond the ordinary, and hallowing Jesus' name every day in private and every week in worship together connects us to that transcendence, right? We begin to see what, we're, what we were created for. We come under his bigness and life begins to make sense. That's why, by the way, we come in here and sing, his mercy is more. Thank you, Jesus. We don't come in here and we sing, I'll do better this week, Jesus. I promise I'll really do better this week. That's not what we sing because we won't, by the way, okay? His mercy is more. So we come in and we hallow his name, hallow his attributes, and all of a sudden we're like, man, he's good, right? Then Jesus says in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So your kingdom come, my kingdom go. Your will, not my agenda. I want your name to be honored and praised. So that phrase, your kingdom come, is really, it has this missionary impulse. Uh, So we are to pray for God's kingdom to come today, all right, so that his Reign in my, his rule and reign in my life right now. We pray for his glorious name to be, uh, name, to be spread all throughout the nations, right? We're involved in that. And, and you know what happens when I pray that? Just kind of naturally, I sort of start thinking of ways to bring God's kingdom into my day. Um, when I'm shopping, instead of AirPods in and keeping to myself, I'm looking for somebody to bless in Jesus' name and, you know, wherever I am. So, you know, Jesus would not have been in a hurry in Costco. So why am I? You know, so may his kingdom come, may his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what's heaven like? You ever think about that? He, so he wants it to be right here in Fort Worth, his kingdom to be on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven is no pain, no sorrow. Everybody worshiping Jesus, no veiled faces, just this amazing experience. So that's what God wants Fort Worth to be like. So as we pray, may it be on earth as it is in heaven, our hearts awaken to the responsibility that I am to bring heaven to my neighbors today. 
that I am to usher in God's kingdom into my office today, that I am his ambassador right here. I get to do the transcendent thing that everybody really longs for. There people in the world, they're all searching for ways to find transcendence, and I actually get to be a part of that. I get to be part of something that actually matters, his kingdom coming to Fort Worth today. That's kind of cool. So J.I. Packer, uh, one of my favorite authors, he said of this verse, uh, here, more clearly than anywhere else, the purpose of prayer becomes plain. Not to make God do my will, but to bring my will into line with his. That'll hit me between the eyes every time I read it. So, you know, so if you think about it, what's better? Okay, for, for my son Judah, I got a three-year-old. He's the man. You got to meet him. Okay. For, for my three-year-old son, what's better for him? If he does what he wants or if he does what I want? Y'all tell him if you know the answer. Okay, so if Judah's will be done, he would have a donut for breakfast, Skittles and fruit punch for lunch, cake and a Coca-Cola for dinner. Every day this week. He, he would be running in our street. You know, it, it would not be a healthy, productive day for Judah if he did, if, if his will be done. Because as Judah's dad, my will for him is good. All right? I happen to even have a better view on his life than even he does. And so him aligning with my will is the best thing for him. Y'all gonna make me say that paragraph again, okay? Him aligning with my will really is the best thing for my son Judah because my will for him is good. So us, you get it, okay. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Then look at verse 11. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus wants us to bring our needs to him. That's what you're doing there in verse 11. So, you know, our heavenly father, the Bible says, delights when we come to him and pour out our hearts and pour out our needs. So, you know, he's not slow to meet you in your need. It's the difference between a, a, teenage, a teenager dragging himself out of bed on a Monday morning to go to school. It's like, oh, man. And that same teenager jumping out of bed on Christmas morning to go see what's under the tree. That's Jesus' heart for us. He's not slow. It's like, oh, Amy's asking me for something else. Oh, my goodness. That's not God's heart for you. He's jumping at it. He wants to do it. And, you know, on this verse, uh, I can go missionary kid real quick. Y'all know that my parents are missionaries, so... We don't understand this verse like most of the world does. We really don't um, because we have an abundance of food. Uh, you know, we have so much food that we throw food away. It's crazy, okay? So uh, most of the people throughout history and who are alive today did not and do not have the abundance of food like we have. So I'm not trying to make us feel bad, okay? But much of the world lives day to day. And so they pray this with more of a sense of urgency and desperation that, that can sometimes be lost on us so that our lives of excess can kind of trick us into thinking that we're self-sufficient. That's really one of the main problems with, uh, you know, uh, more with countries of excess, that we think that we don't need God to provide for our daily needs. Yeah, I need him long-term, but I got this today, you know. So I'm not asking you to change anything there other than realizing your abundance and not to fool yourself. You need God's provision every day. You really do. So there's, and at the same time, there's no need in your life that's too small. He, if, 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 Laundry is piling up and it's stressing you out. You can take that need to God. Okay, you really can. So I want us to notice, Jesus tells us in verse 11 to ask for our daily needs. Verse 12, to ask for daily forgiveness. And verse 13, to ask for daily deliverance from Satan and from evil. Daily, daily, daily. So let's not miss Jesus' heart here in this prayer, okay? Uh, he, 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 he's not like, okay, you know what? Yeah, come on Sundays, that's enough. He's like, no, I want to talk every day. I want us to be close. Uh, there's a book by Dane Ortland. I've been reading everything Dane Ortland, read everything he has. Uh, in fact, I think I'm going to 
there's a book called How Does God Change Us? I think I'm going to buy it for everybody because it really has impacted me greatly lately. So it's a long quote, but he, this is what he says about Jesus' heart for us. If you only had a few words to define who Jesus is, what would you say? In, in the one place where he himself tells us about his own heart, he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart, Matthew 11. That's who Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. The heart in biblical terms is not merely emotions, but the innermost animating center of all that we do. Our deepest loves and desires and ambitions pour out of our hearts. And when Jesus opens himself up and tells us the fountain, the engine of all that he does, he is gentle and lowly. Is that your picture of God this morning? We, know, we who know our hearts resist this truth. We see the ugliness within. We can hardly face ourselves. We feel so inadequate. And Jesus is perfectly holy, the divine son of God. It is normal and natural, even in our churches, to sense instinctively that he is holding his people at arm's length. You don't have to go through security to get to Jesus. You don't have to get in line or take a ticket. No waving for his attention. Uh, no raising your voice to make sure he hears you. In your smallness, he notices you. In your sinfulness, he draws near to you. In your anguish, he is in solidarity with you. Prayer is not a waste of time, okay? Um, Jesus wants to talk to you every day. And so, again, he, does, he doesn't want you to, you know, yeah, come to church once or twice a month. That'll be plenty. He wants to be close to you. So in, in the book, Beginning to Pray, uh, you know, very, you know, huge book with regard to prayer, Anthony Bloom said that we pray for 30 minutes and then we kind of move on about our day. We compartmentalize this thing and we kind of move on. And then we can, so we pray for 30 minutes and move on and then we complain that God doesn't make himself available to us. Okay, anybody else? So he writes, we have no right to complain about the absence of God because we are a great deal more absent than he ever is. So I don't want our idea of prayer to be a quick meeting with the Lord and then we move on with our day. That's not it. It's a whole life vision of knowing God. Um, One sort of breakthrough that I had with regard to prayer was when I was about 30, seven years ago now. Almost 40, here we go. Yeah, clap clap for these seven years. I've grown, okay. So, So I started going on these Fridays, Friday's my day off. Friday afternoon walks, I didn't take a phone. I would go out in nature and I would just walk and pray. Okay, and it really took my walk with the Lord from a series of short meetings to a long leisurely walk. Okay, so, and I would follow this form of the Lord's Prayer, or like we, what Pastor Jeffrey did earlier, ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. So I would have a different form that I kind of internalized, and then I would just walk and pray. I would pray, hallowed be your name, and I would pray verse 10, your kingdom come, my kingdom go. I'd pray verse 11, yeah, yeah, here's what I need. And I would pray, so there's different forms. So again, to kind of create a lot of space, and for me, it almost settles my mind if I'm, if I'm walking, you know. Uh, I tend to be kind of active I don't, and fast-paced. You probably picked up on that, okay, so as you try to keep up with me every week. So find that practice in your life. What does it look like for you to have a long, slow walk with Jesus at least once a week, right? Or what does it look like for you for every day you, you, you stretch out your conversation with Jesus. And you really, you know what I'm saying? So what, what does that practice look like for you? That'd be a good thing to talk about in City Group this week. And so it seems to me there's a natural flow here in the prayer too that we first hallow his name, we honor him first, and then we're set on mission to bring his kingdom to Fort Worth. And then we lay our needs at him, at his feet. And then look at verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now that debt, this debt is a sin word, Okay. 
so Jesus is having us pray for forgiveness of sin and that we forgive those who sin against us, right? So it's a little striking that Jesus would have us pray for forgiveness since, like, I thought we're already forgiven, Lord. Like, I thought, we're good, right? What's this about? So it's like, what he's talking about here is like, if my son or daughter, if they do something disrespectful to me, they need to come and apologize. They need to come and ask for forgiveness. But, like, we're good, you know? So it's like that. Like, like, we're, like you're, my, you're my kid. If you disobey, that's okay. But you need to apologize. That's really the forgiveness he's talking about, that daily forgiveness. Like, you're going to heaven, but you need to say, I'm sorry. Okay, so... Uh, then Jesus includes a line to forgive our debtors or to forgive people who have sinned against us. And we've talked a lot about this the past couple of weeks, so I won't go too deeply here. But Paul Tripp refers to the, what Jesus is talking about here as a lifestyle of forgiveness. That free people are free to forgive. So he wants to free you every day from that person, from that action, from what they did to you. Okay, again, to, to free you from it. So, you know, In talking about prayer, a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times I kind of leave feeling guilty. You ever heard a sermon on prayer? You're like, oh man, I I should have prayed this year. That would have been good, you know. Um, So, and you you hear of these pastors, right, that pray from 5 to 10 a.m. every day. And I'm just short of that. Just like, just almost there. Leonard Ravenhill, he's like this really famous preacher from back in the day, you know, 80 years ago or something. He said, ministers who do not spend two hours a day in prayer are not worth a dime a dozen. It's like, dang, Leonard, come on. Like, I'm trying to meet with my people. I got like, what's going on here? So, but the reality is, prayer does tend to be something that we put off. One of my seminary professors, we kind of tried to pin him on, how much, so I said in the class, how much are we supposed to pray? And he said, more. That works, which is, the best and the worst all at the same time. So, but it is something that we, like it's a habit that we think we'll, we'll do later. So we're like, man, I'll get into prayer next year when my kids are in that next grade. You know, I'll get into it. I'll really commit to prayer once midterms are over, once the classes are, I'll really do it then. Pastor, I'm gonna call it right now. This is one of my 2022 New Year's resolutions. I got you, Pastor. I'm really gonna pray next year. It's gonna be great. Okay, instead of putting it off, here's my challenge this week. Every day this week, pray this sample prayer, okay? Every day this week, for whatever time you do, you know, so verse nine, God, you're holy, I honor you. Hallowed be your name. Verse 10, Father, may your kingdom come to my home today, to my workplace today. I want, I want Fort Worth to look like heaven today. Help me find an opportunity to bring heaven to earth. Verse 11, God, give me what I need today. You name your needs. God, here's what, here's what I need today, Father. Verse 12, forgive me where I sin. For, forgive, help me forgive the person who sinned against me. Verse 13, Father, direct me against temptation today. You know, we all have sin tendencies, these sins that come very naturally to us. So pray that you're not led in that way today. Every day this week, get the text out, Matthew 6, and just kind of pray through it. You know, another way to think about being a disciple of Jesus is that we are each his apprentice. An apprenticeship you, you learn directly from. And so practice Jesus' way this week by going through this model prayer. Let's uh, look at verse 8 as we close. Jesus says, don't be like them. It's not this performance. It's not this, that's not what it is. For your father knows what you need even before you ask him. You hear his heart there? And so um, Arnold Palmer 
Uh, he's a very famous golfer. He's not just the, the half tea, half lemonade guy, although that's a pretty important contribution, okay? One of the greatest golfers of all time, a friend of mine told me this story that uh, one time, you know, 30, 40 years ago, the king of Saudi Arabia asked Palmer to design a golf course for him over there. At the time, the king of Saudi Arabia was the richest guy in the world, like, by far. He was, like, you know, super, super rich. And so Palmer agreed to do it. He designed it, the whole thing. And so they finished it, building it and everything. And then Palmer went over to Saudi Arabia to be with the king, and they drove the whole thing, you know, golf cart of the whole thing, played a couple holes. The king loved it. He was blown away. And so they got, you know, through with the little tour, and he said, Mr. Palmer, I'm so glad. This is great. It's exactly, it's, it surpasses expectation. I want to give you a gift for what you've done. So what's something that you collect? What's something that you really love? And Palmer, trying to be nice, he goes, no, no, no. You've already paid me. I enjoy doing it. That's okay. The king, obviously offended, goes, no, this is a tradition. I, I'm going to get you a gift. What do you like? And then he's kind of on his heels, you know. So he's like, yeah, I collect golf clubs. Okay, cool. So Goes back to the States, he's here seven, ten days, and then he starts kind of imagining, like, this could be, that, that could really work out. Like, maybe he's going to send me an all-gold putter with diamond-encrusted, you know, this, this is going to really be a cool thing. Fifteen days after he leaves Saudi Arabia, Palmer gets a letter in the mail from the king, and he goes, a letter? Oh, man, I thought it was going to be this. Okay, that's cool. He, he's trying to, okay. He opens a letter, and the king says, uh, I got your golf club. It's 456 acres in South Georgia. Hope you enjoy it. Okay. He bought him a golf club. So we think golf club, but a king thinks golf club. With the stroke of a pen, our king can answer your needs. It's, it's nothing to a king. So think about your struggles this morning. Think about what you need. Think about who you need to forgive that it's so hard to forgive. Think about the things that we bring into the room this morning. Okay. For our king, it's nothing. Trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey.